0: Let us pray. Father, thank you for your promise that as we trust in Jesus, you will never forsake us. So now we ask that you would come among us by your spirit and do your good and gracious work among us and in our lives. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, please be seated. Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you. It has been a Busy weekend for the staff and vestry here at the church. We had our staff and vestry retreat that we do annually here downstairs in the multi-purpose room Friday night and all day yesterday. And in the afternoon, which is the vestry only portion of the retreat, we um, prayerfully selected new vestry officers. Our new senior warden for this year is Jim Morrison. Pleased to let you know. Walt DeHoust. Yes. Walt DeHoust. Yes, Jim, you can stand. So everyone knows who you are our junior warden continuing in that role for a third year is Walter Haust. Yay. And Don Smuts, and I don't see Don right now, is our registrar. So those are, yes, we can clap. Thanks be to God. And next Sunday during both services, we will be having a commissioning of our new vestry, the vestry for this year. So that will take place in both services. Father Jed is not here today because he and Emily are down with the seasonal flu. Um, They've done two COVID tests, which will come back negative, but they are down with the flu, started Thursday. So please keep them in your prayers. And Deacon Julie is still recovering from hand surgery. She was with us for part of the day yesterday, but her hand is still in a sling and Um, bruised and swollen. So she is not here today for that reason. So please continue praying for her healing as well. So continuing today in our study from the book of Ephesians, looking at chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. And as a beginner, I want to give credit to Lynn Kohik for her excellent, relatively recent commentary on the book of Ephesians, um, i I used a number of commentaries as I always do preparing my sermon, but I particularly borrowed from hers. And so I want to give credit where credit is due, um, back in the first three verses of Ephesians four that we looked at quite some time ago, we read these words. I therefore a prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness with patience Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Over the past few sermons from Ephesians, we've looked at the corporate aspect or dimension of God's calling to us as believers and as a church. Specifically, last Sunday, we looked at verses 12 through 16 and the need to live and walk in unity as we grow together in Christ. Godly unity is an essential part of God's call to us as a church, and we must never lose sight of that. Today, in verses 17 through 32, Paul shifts his focus to the individual believer. Specifically, as we grow to understand and live out who we are as new creations in Christ, St. Paul, from that perspective, now exhorts the Ephesians, and God's word through St. Paul exhorts us, and he speaks to them, And to us as people who have been and continue to be transformed by Christ. Did you hear that? People who have been transformed and also continue to be transformed by Christ. And Paul does this by reminding the Ephesians of the futility of their former ways of living and being. He then continues by employing them to continue putting on the new self in Christ and he concludes by encouraging them regarding how to conduct their lives, both within the church, in other words, with other believers, and also with non-believers, i.e. in the world. Back in the mid-1970s, there was a song a Grammy Award-winning song by Barbra Streisand called The Way We Were. And I'm not going to ask you if you remember that song because it would, it would definitely date you, but the song won Grammys, the song won um, an Academy Award for Best Original Song, um, also won a Golden Globe for Best Original Song. But in that song that was so popular, the first stanza begins, "'Memories like the corners of my mind, misty watercolor memories of the way we were.'" And it continues, can it be that it was all so simple then? Or has time rewritten every line? Then the chorus says this, memories may be beautiful and yet, what's too painful to remember, painful to remember, we simply choose to forget. Now that is a nice song. It's a pretty song. It's sentimental. It may be a wonderful, relaxing song to have playing in the background for a romantic dinner. But as Christians... It is important for us to not forget. To not forget our lives before Christ. To not forget the transformation which God has brought to pass in our lives through Jesus Christ. To not forget from where the Lord has brought us. And Paul is concerned for the Ephesian flock of believers. Now, as we talked about, early on in this Ephesians series a little bit about their background the Ephesians were mostly Gentile believers relatively new converts from pagan backgrounds and the city Ephesus that they lived in was rife with pagan worship you had the cart the cult of Artemis a temple for worship of Artemis there you had Roman emperor worship so they were surrounded by this stuff all the time it was pulling at them just like so often in the world things pull at us and there was a very real and constant risk of these believers sliding back into their pagan ways of thinking and acting because this stuff was all around them now paul points out and emphasizes in verse 17 that to to do this is futility and it's interesting here that he does not say that such actions are bad and wrong although they certainly are that too to be clear Instead, he says that this is futile. Futility here speaks of sadness, pain, dead ends, emptiness. As Sarah Kohik in her commentary says, it is endlessly striving and never arriving, forever searching and never finding. So what Paul portrays here is a hopeless existence. Look at verses 18 through 19 with me. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of, their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Paul's language, especially in verse 18, also points to and infers compassion for people trapped in such a tragic state of being. While at the same time, at the same time, he warns the Ephesian believers to not become callous. To not become callous using this example. And God's word says this to you and me as well. Because callousness, growing insensitivity, will lead to giving ourselves over to ungodly things once again. Uh, Some of you know and some of you don't know, before I went back to seminary and started to call it a vocational ministry in the priesthood, I worked in project management for a plumbing and heating contractor for for quite a few years, and I actually started doing that as a summer job in college and worked in the field for quite some time, um, both in those summers and part-time in the winter, and then also... Um, for a number of years before I moved into the office full-time. But when you do plumbing, especially a lot of commercial plumbing, you deal with soldering copper pipe from half-inch all the way up to four-inch copper pipe. You're using a torch all the time. And inevitably, you burn the tips of your fingers a lot. Um, you burn your fingers a lot. And what happens, and my wife has noted this, she knows this not too long after we were married, I don't have a lot of sensitivity in my fingertips. You know, normally your fingertips are one of the most sensitive parts of your hands. And I don't have a lot of feeling. She'd look at me and say, how can you pick that up and not burn your hand? You know, how can you not feel that? Um, The reality is I've burned my fingertips enough that they're not sensitive anymore. And that doesn't mean, though, that when I pick up something that's hot, it's not burning my fingers. I just don't feel it. And the same sort of thing is true in our walk with the Lord. As we, as we go back to old ways, that callousness that St. Paul talks about, it's like burning the tips of your fingers when you're soldering. It's still doing damage. It's still harming you. But the more we do it, the more we get burned the less we feel it. That's exactly right. The less we feel it and the less sensitive we become to the reality of those things and the less sensitive we become to the voice of the Spirit of God and the power of God available to us to escape those things and bear up under those temptations. So we need to guard against allowing ourselves to become callous, to losing our sensitivity to the voice of the Spirit of God who not only speaks to us but strengthens us. It's important, brothers and sisters. uh, It's important, brothers and sisters, to remember the way we are, were, who we were before, and apart from Christ. In First Corinthians chapter six, Saint Paul writes this: "Or do you not know that the the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived." And such were some of you. Such were some of us. But that is no longer who we are as people redeemed by Jesus Christ. Remembering who we were, the place from where God has brought us, will frame our perspective and remind us of just what wonderful things God has done and continues to do in our life as he sets us free. And it will also fill us with compassion, even as Paul infers here, for those who are still trapped, for whom it is God's will to set free. And while, let me say this too, while it is important to remember the way we were, we shouldn't glorify those things. Um, you will hear some Christians who maybe have, God has brought out of really terrible, dark backgrounds, And they share their testimony and thanks be to God for what he's done. But sometimes you'll hear people and they spend more time talking about their reveling and their ungodly behavior and pointing to that than they do in focusing on what God has done. You you know what I'm talking about? And we need to be careful to guard against that and not somehow glorify that or, wow, did you know he was into that? Or you know, she did. No. Let's talk about what the Lord has done. And how he has changed us and how he is transforming us. It's important to remember the way we were, but it's even more important now to understand who we now are. Look at verses 20 through 24 with me. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul here chooses an unusual, profound and very intentional wording. But that is not the way you learned Christ. He doesn't say that is not the way you learned about Christ. Rather, the way you learned Christ. And the implication here in the original language is the verb learned is in the aorist tense, which means it is complete. And it is a continuing, ongoing action and reality. It speaks of totality. Totality. It points to knowing, to being intimately acquainted, not merely the gathering of information or the acquisition of knowledge. Instead, it points to relationship. And then from that relationship, which is one of transformation, it points to godly character and behavior, ways of being and doing that grow out of a living relationship with Jesus Christ. And God calls us to be holy. We're created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, as verse 24 says. That's an important fact not to miss as well. Sometimes we don't hear much talk about holiness in Christian circles these days. And in the ancient Near East, the outside of Christianity and Judaism, the idea of being holy had a whole different meaning or much less of a meaning than it did When speaking of the one true and living God, the God of scripture, because in the ancient Near East, holiness simply meant that someone or something was set apart for religious purposes. So for instance, in Canaanite worship, there were temple prostitutes. Well, they were referred to as holy girls or holy women, but there was no sense of moral integrity or character that's associated with the God, the true God of the Bible only in the one true God of scripture, the living God is this attribute of holiness tied, not only to being set apart for divine purposes, but in being set apart, it means we also reflect the moral and upright and righteous character of our God. First Peter chapter one, verses 14 through 16 says this as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance But as he who called you is holy, you also also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. We are called to reflect and demonstrate and live out the holy, righteous character of our God. That only comes through learning Christ. It comes through Christ's transformation at work in us by the spirit of God every Sunday in our Eucharistic prayers we we pray this sanctify that means set us apart make us holy sanctify us also that we may worthily receive this holy sacrament and be made one body with him one body with Jesus that he may dwell in us and we in him Paul's expression to learn Christ captures the reality that Christ is alive and Christ is indeed in relationship with his church and with us as individual believers who know him. Again, to quote Sarah Kohick, the believer grows and develops through actively engaging head, hearts, hands, and feet, because the content of the study, hear this, is not a body of literature, but a person, namely Jesus. If you're in Christ, you are a new creation. Let me speak that over you again. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Christ has and is making us anew. And he calls us to continue to yield and surrender to his wonderful, good, and gracious work in our lives. And that's more than just being declared righteous, if you will, before the, the legal bar of God in some legal or forensic sense. I'll go through out a theological term here, but that's one thing that some of what are known as the magisterial reformers during the Reformation, I think, got wrong as an overreaction to some of the, the problems and difficulties with medieval Catholicism. And instead of the pendulum, as it often does, swinging from here to here, they went here. Um, and people like John Calvin who's done a lot of really wonderful things to say and were godly people but went so far at, at times to say there is no actual lived righteousness it's all a declaration by God upon the believer, so that you stand which we do indeed stand justified before the bar of God in a sense and are declared righteous but it's more than just being declared righteous when we look at Scripture because Christ's righteousness also becomes a reality in us, it becomes a lived reality through the Spirit of God that's working in us. It's real, it's actual, and it's God's work. It's not self-righteousness. Hear me, please. But it is through Christ. It's through His power at work in us. It comes through learning Christ as new creations in Christ people in whom the Holy Spirit of God the third person of the Trinity dwells we are empowered and called by God to cooperate and yield to God's good and gracious work in our lives look at verses 22 through 24 again to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness true righteousness and holiness actual righteousness and holiness do you see what God's word says here? Do you see the way we have learned in Christ? To put off, verse 22, our old self. To be renewed in the spirit of our mind. So our, the way we think, the way we are, the way our being is, is renewed in the image of Christ. To put on the new self. To put on more fully daily with Christ's transformation working in us. To put on more fully who we are as redeemed people through Jesus Christ. The new self created in the likeness of God in true virtue and in godly righteousness. Too often in Christian teaching these days we hear this kind of Anything goes. Well, I'm forgiven. Jesus is my savior. It's under the blood. Some of you have heard all those things. So I'm forgiven. I can just go do whatever I want. That is not biblical Christianity. We are called to be different. We are called to be conformed to the image of Christ, the eternal son of God, who is righteous and is holy. Not in some, again, some self-righteous way. But as we yield to God's good and gracious and loving work in us, so that we ooze spiritually with the image and the love and the grace and the power of Christ and the difference he has made in our lives. Putting on this new self doesn't somehow negate skills and qualities and mannerisms and parts of our personality that were there before we knew christ but christ takes those he takes who we are as the unique people god has created us to be and he sanctifies those things he makes all of those things holy in His transforming work so that we as the people he's made us to be are used for his glory the new self we are putting on is created after god's likeness in god's righteousness and holiness and this is who God wills to continue to make every single one of us to be. And then living is who God is making us to be. Verses 25 through 32. And I have to go through these kind of quickly. In these verses, Paul gives examples of the contrast between the believer who by God's transforming power is putting on the new self and the old self, who we were. And here we have a picture of of God's vision of what a new person looks like, what a new creation in Christ looks like, the qualities and character traits that are exemplified in our lives. It's a new God-empowered way of living that reflects God's holy character. These verses, 25 through 32, are not just practical advice and they are not a crash course in self-help. And far be it, from them ever being a list of do's and don'ts or commands for self-enhancement, what Paul talks about here can only come to pass as a result of growing in intimacy with Jesus, of growing in intimacy with Christ. Again, to quote Sarah Kohick, Paul now turns to living truthfully, which begins with the mouth and extends to the hands and the heart. Thus, believers draw on the bottomless love of Christ in every action and thought, and they are then transformed as they grow in him. We are then transformed as we grow in him. Remembering who we were, knowing who God is making us to be, And what that looks like in true righteousness and holiness by God's transforming work in us. Because again, it is God's good and gracious work. And he calls us to submit ourselves anew to that every day. Last Sunday, those of you who were here for the business meeting, I laid out at the end of that four key points or areas of focus for the coming year. And if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go back to the website and, and take a look at that. Um, I'm going to take those things out of order. I talked about Dale City. But where we, where I want to talk, what I want to talk about is that in 1 Samuel 7, 4, and I use that as a starting point, we see Samuel led Israel in repentance as they were faced with potential destruction by the Philistines and in their repentance, and in serving the Lord only, and those are the words there, God gave them the victory. And I'm not saying that we are as a church, as individuals in some sort of gross sin, but the starting point for living into and understanding and discerning the call that God has upon us for this season begins with serving the Lord only in ever greater measure for every one of us and all of us together. To be more fully yielded to his work in our lives and his work in this church. That idea again that St. Paul talks about of learning Christ. As we have learned Christ. As we learn Christ. As we serve the Lord only more and more fully. God will use us and he will make his vision clear to us. The second thing I talked about last Sunday was that we need to be committed to a season of prayer to seek the face of the Lord. And I have asked the church to set aside every fourth Sunday night of the month, beginning this month, so the fourth Sunday of February, for a time of corporate prayer. It will be Sunday nights from 6 to 7. And some of us may linger later than that, but we are doing it from 6 to 7 for a couple reasons. One is right after Foundations ends. Two, it's right when youth ends so our students can stay and be a part of this. We will provide child care. And it still allows things to finish up at a time where those with young kids can get their kids home on a, school, a night where the school is the next day and put them down at a reasonable time. But I am calling all of us to be a part of this time of coming together in corporate prayer, to seek the Lord's face, to, to grow, to serve the Lord only in ever fuller measure. And then out of that, I talked about two other things how we do ministry in this season of COVID. Because one, um, the reality is COVID's here to stay for a while. I I don't like saying that any more than you like thinking about, but that's the reality. So while we are still responsible in the way we, we protect people from virus, we have to ask God to show us how to do ministry in the midst of all of this. We can't just stay on hold. We haven't, but we can't stay on hold somehow until COVID's over and things go back to the way they were because the reality is, The way things were two, two and a half years ago, they're never coming back. Our society, our culture, our world has changed too much to this. So we need to press in with the Lord and seek his face as we serve the Lord only and say, God, show us how to do ministry in this new context, because it really is a new ministry context. And then the other thing I talked about, fourthly, was the same thing you've been hearing me say, but my burden for this is growing, not lessening reaching our neighbors, reaching Dale city down the hill. And that's going to require the power and the presence of God. It's going to first require us serving the Lord only and pressing in with the Lord. And the Lord may will to do some house cleaning in all of our hearts and lives. We all have those places beginning with me. Sometimes that we don't even know. And as we serve the Lord only, as we learn Christ, God will shine his light on that and clean up some things and make us even more like Jesus so that what our neighbors see and and the way we operate in the power and the presence of the Lord oozes, in a sense, with the presence of Jesus to our community as we reach them with the love of Christ. So it starts with us. It starts with growing in learning Christ. And then from that, as God continues his good and gracious transforming work in us, as we put on the new self more and more by God's power, he will show us exactly who he wants us to be and what he wants us to do out of that place of being in relationship with Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your incredible grace that you welcome us and invite us into ever increasing and living relationship with you. And Lord, you call us to learn Christ. And clearly, Lord, that is a real and true possibility or you would not have said it in your word. So Lord, may we learn Christ. May we by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us put on the new self in ever greater measure. And fill us with your holy and righteous character. That we would truly reflect to the world around us who you are. Lord, guide us as we seek your face. As we serve you only. As we serve you alone. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.